Dragon Warriors is the key to a magic world. A land of cobwebbed forests and haunted castles. A land where dire monsters lurk in the shadows of the night. Where hobgoblins shriek across the bleak and misty moors. Where wizards and armoured warriors roam dank dungeons in their quest for gold and glory. The realm of your imagination. This first book gives you the essential rules for you and your friends to enter this world and become the mighty heroes of fantasy. Maps, encounter charts, a rich collection of bloodthirsty monsters, tactical guides and a complete scenario for your first adventure. Ten minutes is all it takes to commence battle with your first foe. Only your own skill and daring and the decisions you make will stand between you and a hundred hideous deaths. The authors of the series, Dave Morris and Oliver Johnson, first met at Oxford University for a mutual interest in role-playing games. Since then, they have worked on a freelance basis, devising, developing and writing numerous solo fantasy game books and contributing to a specialist fantasy magazine. Dave Morris now works full-time as a writer. Oliver Johnson works as an editor of Corgi Books. Well, that was a reading from... Dragon Warriors book one. I came across it again whilst rooting around looking for Reaper and read. I don't know if that was off the back cover now or just inside the front cover, but I thought it was quite evocative and decided it would be fun just to do a little reading and chuck it into the podcast. So hope you enjoyed that. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting little system. Uh, I I read through it and I think it might be a little bit whiffy because you have to roll to hit. It seems quite hard to hit. You have an attack value and there's a sort of a defence value. I can't remember what they're called. And you have to roll under the difference. Then if the defender has armour, you have to defeat their armour roll. Quite interestingly... Depending on the type of weapon you use, you are more or less effective at bypassing the armour, which I thought, well, you know, that adds potentially a nice little bit of flavour. And then your type of weapon determines the amount of damage that you do once you've passed, uh, bypassed the armour. So I, I could see combats probably involving less combatants and being a little bit more to and fro but I'm, I'm quite curious I've, I've picked it up and looked at it before and, and more or less rejected it I, I, I had a re like a re re-released version of a big old hardback there was loads and loads in there and, and part of what I like about this original book is you know, once again, harping on about the uh, nostalgia, but it's it's a small corgi book, a little, a very unassuming paperback. It's just got the uh, barbarian and knight character classes in there. So reading through it and wondering how available and, and what kind of interest there was still in this game i came across a, a website called cobwebbed forest it's kind of uh, put together by a, a fan and 
you know, there's a lot, a lot of content on there, and it's got that typical fan website sort of feel to it. Loads of information, you know, not not super good looking or, or slick in any way, but quite charming nonetheless, and uh, a really valuable resource if if you're interested in finding out about the game and perhaps exploring it a bit. Uh, it's another one of these things that when I when I fancy a, a change of pace or do something different, it's it's on my list of, of things to check back into at some point. Uh, I've got a great fondness for this book. Just just the feel of it, the illustrations are, are really nice, and th- th- some of the rules are portrayed in a in a cartoon strip kind of way which is a little bit different and uh, I'm, I'm surprised we don't see that a little bit more in uh, some some modern modern games I think it would be a good way to go I'm not saying I haven't seen it but I can't recall a game of late that used a kind of comic strip approach to explain the rules I think it lends itself to the hobby and it's something I'd, I'd love to see a little bit more of. Missed out on some RPGs lately because Easter, my, my brother and my eldest son have been away. So we've we've had to postpone a couple of RPG sessions. But I've, I've caught up a little bit with some gaming in particular. Getting through some of that shelf of shame. I mentioned that before. And Blood Bowl has been back to the table now. I've got a call in from Carl. He's, he's uh, made the effort and called in about Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl. He is uh, quite famously a Warhammer, um, a Warhammer fantasy fan. He's, he's a bit of an Anglophile. I think he likes some of that Games Workshop stuff. Hey, Colin. I like that you mentioned Blood Bowl. Curiously enough, in our Warhammer fantasy ongoing campaign, the enemy within, the players, and I think it's in the the powers bend the throne. There's a chance where you get to watch and bet on a snot a snot ball tournament for the carnival. And I guess if you win the the snot ball tournament at Middenheim, then you can go on to bigger, better things in the empire. But it's not it's called snot ball, but it's blood ball. And the players infiltrated into a team, and we played. Uh, we did run. There's like a a quick way to run it and a more advanced, a la blood ball way to run it. I thought it was funny because you said. Yeah, you want to score, but the players got involved in beating up the other team instead. So kind of funny, just like Blood Bowl. And we all realized that it was a Blood Bowl because we're all big fans of the Empire and the Old World and Warhammer Fantasy. First of all, then, a big thanks to Carl, a.k.a. the Geomologist. And you can catch up with his Warhammer exploits on The Geomologist Presents, where he does quite a lot of unboxings and is a master at recapping his game something i'm i'm pretty terrible at uh, pretty terrible at I, I don't know if i forget or i don't know what it is I, I don't really forget what goes on um i don't know maybe i just don't practice enough and, and perhaps it's something i could do there's normally the next thing comes along and ideas bubble into my my, my mind and yeah I, I don't want to ramble on for too long but I'm a listener and I look forward 
to the exploits of Carl's players in that Warhammer ongoing Warhammer campaign that he's got especially as recently there's been a little bit more talk about Warhammer amongst our own group I don't know if it's because we've been playing Man of War and Blood Bowl uh, Kev the Dungeon Muser has also been talking about it so it, it seems to be going through a little bit of a cycle of interest my brother's got a load of the stuff and um he seems quite keen to play it. He, I know he's, he's jumped into an online game, so he's going to get himself a little bit more familiar with the rules. But at the same time, he's a bit torn like most of us. We've got a little, our own projects. He's a couple of game designs he's been working on. Uh, and, you know, you've only got so many gaming slots. So do you, do you work on your own design or, or do you run a game that you'd like to run like Warhammer, especially when... It, it, my youngest is expressing an interest in it as well it's uh, you know it's the same old story I say it time and time again too many games not enough time and the setting as well I, I even thought about whether I could take some of that setting and uh, you know the old world and that, that Warhammer vibe because growing up in the UK it is well in my personal history of growing up in the UK that Games Workshop is really in my blood and it's it's no effort for me to kind of conjure that up in my players as well because it's a similar story for them. So, yeah, the, the possibilities of running it with another system, even if I didn't use the Woofrup, um, which is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, for those that don't know. It also, talking of settings, I, I've got another call from... Carl, but I'm going to leave that uh, to my next episode, I think, because I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the Iron Kingdoms. Now, I've got to say, I am painfully aware that this episode is a bit of a Frankenstein's monster. Bits of this and that chucked together and all sewn up and, well, finally, hopefully, breathed into some kind of life. Um, now, just to make matters worse, I've got another bit to stitch on, as it were, into the episode. And this was where I was rambling about some uh, thoughts around miniatures and then miniature gaming, war gaming. I, I touch on Reaper and then get into uh, Shock Horror, Chainmail and OD&D, in fact. So I'll go from Blood Bowl all the way through to Chainmail. Work that one out. Anyway, I thought it was just about worthy of inclusion. So here we go. If you're a person who likes miniatures, you will probably be aware that the, the Blood Bowl miniatures in the, the current version of the game, I've, I think, are uh, generally really nice. There's a few teams, I think, that are a little bit lacklustre. But the, the quality of these um, these kits now is astounding. They, they go together... Uh, it, well, in my experience, I've been assembling uh, somebody, one of the Imperial teams and uh, did a little bit on oh, an, an ogre and uh, something else I put together a little while ago. And I've just been impressed in, in, in the way these things are crafted from, from um, basically an engineering and production point of view it is just it's top notch when i think about the first plastic figures 
back in the 80s there was a skeleton horde set which was an early early miniature but there was these couple of dwarfs and i believe they were called drastic plastic um really simple figures i think i still got that first plastic dwarf somewhere and that was shortly followed by a plastic orc set and that plastic orc really really opened my eyes to the possibilities of kind of customizing figures it became much easier using polystyrene cement to customize your figures you could trim them uh, quite easily not that lead was super hard but the problem with lead was when you was customizing you really needed to kind of pin the joints of your miniatures because a super glue it's a kind of a, a very brittle bond with metal and the weight of these figures any anytime you even kind of a bit of rough handling it'd quite easily like shock a figure and a, an arm or a head would drop off uh, you needed to be using epoxy resin or really really good um, pinned joints just sometimes especially for a larger figure with with heavier parts almost the weight of the arm could almost pull an arm off of a, a bigger figure or like the wing of a dragon um, plastic the plastics with the polystyrene cement meant because you've you've got a chemical reaction and like a welded joint it just really opened up these possibilities and i was getting things like ostriches and uh, miniature rhinos from like kids zoo toys putting like a howder on top and making ostrich riders and rhino riders sculpting bits onto you know these these zoo animals and and just doing all this customization sculpting saddle bags and saddles and bridle and uh, all of that you know really getting into it little uh, little uh, balsa wood constructions to make kind of firing platform platforms for like ballista on the on the back of these uh, huge kind of monsters and then making up my own stats uh, and that was before warhammer really took on this kind of this like lockdown spirit with codexes for different armies back in the day we were just like chucking everything together and and that's part of the reason why i really enjoy my recent plays of dragon rampant because it reminds me of kind of the early days of warhammer where it didn't it didn't matter what figures you had you just kind of put it all together and came up with a creative reason for why your army was the way it was talking of early days of warhammer whilst we we're on the subject i uh, broke out my my copy of second edition reaper which was um, rick priestley and rick or well richard priestley rick and uh richard halliwell i don't think he tended to call himself rick so much but there you go designers both ended up working at games workshop I, I don't know if they were involved with the formation of it so much i'm not too sure but looking at those old rules um there's for a booklet i think it was two pounds 95 it's still got a price tag on it it's all uh, a typed font and uh, some sketchy line art in there 
combat resolution tables, all that, all that goodness. And you, you, you'd be amazed at what was in there. It had this whole spell design kind of system. Everything you had to kind of like point out. Armor was broken down into uh, parts of the body. And to come up with, uh, what was it? A, there was a save value and a combat. You had a CV and an SV. Combat value, I believe, and a, and a save value. There was quite a quite a lot of calculation and and preparation went into preparing uh, the, the the forces at play and got that that real traditional idea of uh, giving orders to the troops written orders to units and play involving an umpire and a kind of scenario and and, and um this this sort of arbitration of the rules with a an independent umpire. It's quite interesting to read these old books sometimes, and it it makes me kind of curious to perhaps have a look at the often talked about chainmail, which is not something I've I've ever done, and I've only sort of glimpsed OD and D. So perhaps I should uh, catch up with. Uh, Daniel from the Bandits Keep, his exploits, a uh, fellow podcaster and YouTuber. Uh, he is uh, pretty pretty well known, I would say, for for his love of OD and D and chainmail and and how you can take that that basic uh, original kind of system and and use it for pretty much anything you you could want to do in your games. And if you take Chainmail and OD&D, well, that's your wargaming and your and your RPG, and it's got all your bases covered. So, um, perhaps when I when I've got a little bit of time, I'll I will investigate that and and see. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe there is some scope, and it it would be a fun thing to explore. And it just occurs to me that it's not something I've I've really done, and. Uh, I haven't really got a particularly good reason why I haven't. So, yeah, watch this space. So as this episode draws near to a close, I'd like to include a couple of calls for some buddies of mine. Spencer, a.k.a. Free For All of Keep Off The Borderlands and Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting. I've recently hit my 500 episodes and at times it feels like I've been podcasting forever and at other times it, it's flown by it take it does take a little bit of staying power I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure these congratulations are uh, all that worthy but I, I have at times thought about knocking it on the head as they say uh, but only because I, I wonder if uh, if I'm adding much to the conversation at times and yeah, I, I try not to self-edit, and, and I've been surprised over the years what, what people have actually said they enjoyed listening to. So I try and leave decisions about whether to listen or not to to the listener. And um, if I don't put something out there, well, then they haven't got that choice. So whilst I've got time and the inclination, it seems like I, I may as well just, just carry on and... I don't know it it 
it does uh, it does help me to stay in the loop with the hobby and you know if if a few people enjoy it really uh, that's good enough N no point measuring yourself up to the big boys that are you know going all guns blazing and making this a kind of full-time job it's uh, it, c it can be a lot of work and I, I take my hat off to them but big thanks to Spencer and Safer for their calls especially as they mentioned it, it is none none too easy nowadays but some more about that a little bit later on over to you guys hey Colin I just wanted to congratulate you on this monumental milestone the incredible achievement of reaching 500 episodes wishing you a happy half millennium Hello, Colin. It's just safer here. I hope this message gets to you, man, because this is a real clot on trying to send a, a message through this Spotify for podcasters uh, website. But anyway, I just want to say, man, congratulations. 500 episodes. Amazing, man. Amazing. What an achievement. I'll quickly do the maths. I mean, what, 25 for me, 500 for you. I could live 200 lifetimes and never achieve that. Just astounding. You actually kind of caught me out, actually, with um, with all your chopping and changing. I thought, oh, suddenly I realised, I thought you are doing an Orwellian fixing of history, but I've realised that you've actually been having your own little time travel adventure there, haven't you, Colin? And you, within your own podcast, you've actually been jumping the timelines, jumping backwards and forwards, having little time slips. So it kind of caught me out, but uh, yeah, nice one, nice bit of art there. But all the best to you, mate. Fantastic, well done. Really just want to congratulate you. Take care, man. All the best. Bye-bye. It's really great that people have taken the time to call in. And it is a, a increasingly, it seems, a little bit more difficult. And my recommendation would be just, just record something on a device, a little MP3 file, attach it to your humble email, send it across to me at spikepitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can always direct message me on a Discord, such as the Audio Dungeon or Dungeon Musings. I'm not on many and I, I don't spend a lot of time uh, trolling through that stuff, but I do find that quite convenient. It's all done through your phone, usually. doesn't need to be anything special. The Spotify thing is a bit of a dead loss and... You know, we all miss that anchor record button. And that, as they say, is a wrap. Big thanks to my stalwart supporters over on Patreon, the pit crew, for their ongoing generosity. And last but not least, a big thanks goes to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old Spike Pit. Take care, and I'll catch you later. <laughs>